0: Hey, how are y'all doing? Thanks for coming out at 10 a.m. I know it's early in the music industry, so I appreciate all y'all. Um, I'll just quickly introduce myself. My name is Shane Gill. I work at uh, Opposition, which is a distribution label, music company, digital marketing. Uh, we really focus on... It's artist-first company. Uh, I've been there for about nine years, and before that, I was at Duckdown Music Indie Label. So kind of been at the core of really pushing artists and more artist driven, um, kind of shifting the the scale a bit more to the artist side. Um, But yeah, obviously we have a really great panel today. Um, I'll kind of just let each person introduce themselves and maybe tell them a little bit about what you do and where you're at. Uh, Julie, you want to start? Sure.
1: Hello? Okay. Good morning, everyone. My name is Julie Renee Tran. I am the co-founder of which means special in Vietnamese. We are a creative, marketing, and PR company based out of New York. And what we're known for is just how we artists develop, curate um, campaigns, and break artists that are from underrepresented um, communities and um, are from overseas. And some of our artists have included K-pop idols like Jackson Wang, Eric Nam, Epic High, as well as global artists like Ray, Black Sharif, Lancey Foe, and Afrobeats producer Kelpie. And we are also especially proud to represent Kashi, who is part of the 2% 2% of Asian American artists that is signed to a major label and who last night made his late night premiere uh, debut on Seth Meyers.
2: That's awesome. Uh, Saeed? Hello, everybody. Can you hear me well? Good. Yeah, so my name is Saeed Okunu. Um, I'm originally from Houston, Texas. I'm Nigerian. And um, I'm the co founder of a company called Amenta Music, it means Boundless Music. And we have operations in Lagos, Nigeria, uh, London, Los Angeles, and in New York. And um, we are, uh, you know, still a small growing company with about 35 employees across the world. We take care of music publishing, neighboring rights. Um, We do live, we run festivals across the country as well. Um, And we also take care of media and acquisitions for Music Catalog. Um, I'm also the director of label operations and Artists and label services at a company called Vidia, and um, you know, I guess across the board, we work with a plethora of artists from French Montana to Russ to, I mean, on the indie side with Burner Boy, Devito, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess we can get into that a little later, but I'm just excited to speak for you guys. Six years ago, I was sleeping on the floor of somebody's Airbnb in South by, so this is dope. Thanks.
3: Hey, guys. I am Shayna Sherman. I am the director of A&R at Def Jam, and I also head up a JV that I just recently signed to Def Jam called Stacker Starve Records. We represent uh, developing acts out of Philadelphia. Uh, I personally represent Armani White on the A&R side. I have a kid called Young K, Lil Mook, and D Sturdy and the Philly Goats. So basically representing developing acts and doing the whole music thing while living my best life
0: <laughs> that's awesome it's, it's great to hear like each of you have had so much success in the last few years and have had such incredible journeys I think the experiences you had it like really excited to kind of hear about that in this panel and obviously the 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 topic is where does diversity and music sort of start and end obviously an important conversation one that's been a little more more discussed in the last few years um but something that I think is great to have in this kind of forum and just kind of openly talk about, I don't think we're expecting everyone to have the answers right now, but kind of just share your experiences and what you kind of see in the industry from from your lens. Um, but I do kind of want to dive right in and kind of talk about why you think there is sort of an imbalance and you know typically a lot less diversity on the business side of music versus the artist's creative side. Everyone wants to say,
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I can start that off. Um, I think there are, like, there's there's plenty of reasons why. I don't think there's, there's actually a specific one that I can go into detail about, but I can speak from my experience. And um, I think it's interesting, like, it's not really only in music. You find it across the board in entertainment. Um, I know there was like a, a sportscaster or like a sports broadcaster that said something about you know LeBron should just you know shut up and dribble, and I think that that notion is shared across the board. And you know me personally, one of my like, M.O.s is trying to eliminate the, the bridge between the creative and the business, because in every other business you see, like if I created the idea of Uber. I have to create the idea, then I have to figure out you know, how to run a business now. I have to go find venture capitalists, and i got to figure that part out. But it's only in entertainment that you see you know, the art here and then the business there. And, and I think it dates all the way back. If you don't own the space, you know what I mean? Like You're not really the, – the biggest label record executives, they're not worried about – they don't look at people as humans. Everything is numbers and stats because they're just looking at the charts. They're looking at the, the bank account. They're looking at they they want things to be doing this. They don't care what that involves, and it's just two different sides of the game with two different intentions. One is worried about culture and pushing things, and the other is just like, okay, what's hot? Or let's make this hot so that we make more money. They don't care. You know what I mean? That's why you have some eras of music that you know we're promoting positive music, and some eras are promoting negative. It's not about what what's being promoted. It's about what's moving, you know, the chart to go up. And I think also just, you know, we were just so far away from, when I say we, I mean we as in minorities, we were so far away from the catalyst on what drove the music industry. You know what I mean? We hopped in it, we we created the music, and then somebody else saw the value and created a structure for that value. You know what I mean? And then we were just, we just kept creating and creating and creating. And um, I think we're we're obviously far away from that point right now, but hundred years of businesses being established to drive some another a different culture, it's going to take us about, you know, the same amount of time to undo that. So uh, I think, like I said, there's a lot of nuances involved, but um, that's my take on it.
3: I could speak from a personal experience with the label that I'm building and developing now. So at Stackerside, like I just mentioned, we represent developing acts, but we're representing de- developing acts from Philadelphia, inner-city Philadelphian kids that we understand where what they come from, we understand their lives, and it's connecting with that. How can I connect with you on a personal level to expand diversity? You know what I'm saying? Within the building, working at Def Jam, of course, we're a label built on culture because we're a hip-hop label. Um, but working with other labels uh, like Columbia, working with other labels um, like RCA and, and Interscope, where the structure is built on somebody who's been in the building for the last 30, 35 years and running it from the top down as an executive at Stacker Star, I'm saying, all right, the kids that that we're essentially signing, we have to be able to connect with them and understand their lives in order to d- develop them as artists and make the conversation different. Um, Kay, for example, Kay is from a project called Abbotsford Projects. There's no way, (laughs) you know, somebody who's sitting in a chairman position, you know, that essentially might be Jewish or any other culture or any other ethnicity would understand what Kay went through in his life to understand what he's speaking about in his music, to understand how to develop him. So I think it starts with, the indie labels and the smaller people outside of the labels to push that narrative and then once you push that narrative somebody like me who's always sat outside of the building who always sat in a management chair who always sat in a consultant chair now gets the opportunity to sit somewhere as a director because you've seen what I built outside and realize that this this culture and this diverse label that I'm building is actually important to keep the narrative going in the culture.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, oftentimes, like, artists were seen at, like, artists are seen as products, and, like, just, like, what everyone else is saying is, like, a lot of times that the artists, like, there's always, they're always going to be telling their narrative and, like, representing the communities that they're coming from, and oftentimes, like, artists who are minorities will be having a team that is representative of them or wanting to be signed to an imprint or an indie that really understands that. So I think the issue that we really need to look at is how we can incorporate all of this into the actual major, into the structure and like, just have it part of the infrastructure, and like be more collaborative and like together versus like, hey, we're over here, we're doing cool things, uh, we're advocating for artists or from our communities, and really like still having to persuade, um, like you know the, the top executives because on a day like, ninety nine percent of them is white, white men.
0: Yeah, there's that. That's interesting. I was because I was gonna bring up the point. Uh, there's a recent stat, I think for major labels, at least of the 61 kind of C-suite like level, um, I think only five are black and three are other minorities um, and the rest are white men. So there is, the gap is closing a bit. I mean, you guys are great examples of it. Um, Being in a head role, director role, running your own PR company, you're able to kind of you know, make those conversations with the C-suite and show the real music, but there's still the gap missing at the highest level. And what, what can you say, or what do you think would be the long-term effects, positive effects, if there was more diversity at that top level?
2: Having proper representation, I think, um, it's, it's, you know, it's going to guide everything properly because everything would not have the right intention, you know, um, owning like the company that I co-founded it's, it's it puts us in a very interesting space because 99.9% of the time we are the only black people in the room and not to talk of just being black being specifically from the continent being Nigerian um, but what that's doing and what that's done is that it's created an avenue for my friends and some of the people I don't know who work in the same space to also enter and it's not about being in the room, but there's certain types of conversations when you're an entrepreneur in entertainment that you have to be able to have. You know, like you need funding. You can't operate by bootstrapping if you want to operate eye to eye with the majors. You have to find the multi-million dollar investments. You have to find the billion dollar investments. Um, hence, I don't know if you guys saw the news about Larry Jackson acquiring Vidya uh, through his venture Gamma, and he got backed by a billion dollars. Those are the types of things that need to happen in order for, you know, things to change. And the change is not just needed so everybody can have opportunity. The change is needed because everybody needs the opportunity to represent people who look like them. People who they can speak to where they came from. And I mean, it, it's that's essentially you know, the biggest thing. You, you just, like you said, you can't have somebody in the office living in Bel Air, you know, worried about what's going on with a kid from the, from the corner in Philly. You know what I mean? Like, it, it doesn't even make sense for either of them. Why would you want to be worried about that? And then why would you? It doesn't make sense, you know what I mean? So um, I think there's room for everybody to have a space to to be able to all, you know, for every culture and every ethnicity group to have their representation, having ownership over the curation of their entertainment. Because entertainment yields the lifestyle. The lifestyle yields the way, you know, the future and the kids and everybody's gonna grow up. So um, it's a, it's a bigger picture. It's not just about having people that look like us to have money. It's just more so about nurturing something and, and withholding traditions and cultures and ethics within um in, within a good space and, and leaving it in good hands. It's a big responsibility that those, you know, in those worlds need to need to take the responsibility for.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's also like so important to have like, you know, people like people like us like in those buildings so that the work can also be done like done right and like efficiently. I think like for me like I'm on the indie side, so you know, we work with all the majors and we're on this on these calls and so much of the time like we're representing Asian artists, Asian artists in Asian Americans and Asian artists overseas, which is two different like two different things, right? Because there's different nuances in terms of the marketing and their background, how things are done. But then it's like you're in you're in the room and you're having to explain like we need to do it this way, uh, you know like we shouldn't just do stereotypical things like you know I remember like someone the label was like oh let's just do a boba activation like why you know so it's like I have to explain to them like hey we can do better than that um, and so I think it's just really important like to have more diversity and representation because it's just it's just easier that way yeah.
0: Um, sh- Shana, you specifically I wanted to kind of ask, because you know you've worked at many different companies and but now being at Def Jam, which is actually one of the much more diverse major labels, what have you kind of seen at Def Jam and could that be replicated to other majors?
3: Let me start by I feel like I'm constantly contradicting myself because I'm finally at a place where it's like when I get on our Zoom calls it is a whole lot of black and brown faces. It's a it's a whole lot of diversity at Def Jam, and what I think is what we represent is hip hop. We represent the quote unquote culture, um, but I also think the narrative has changed with our CEO, who is also a Nigerian man, who has also developed and built different artists from all over the world. Um, so with that being said, he knows the importance of the culture. He knows the importance of, ha- of hiring his people. He knows the importance of what it's like to put somebody who doesn't belong on a project and watch it fail. Um, so I think, you know, it's a, it's an eye-opening experience for me because it's something I cannot complain about. When I look to my left and I look to my right, I'm like, wow, we represent what we're speaking about. Um, but I think it's also, like you said, that that level of wait things are still coming from above so there are certain things that we are not able to do and certain things that they might not understand within the building you know why does this artist need xyz on their project if it's a budget if it's extra security why you know why do I have to explain these things if I'm telling you this is what my artist needs but there's a level of hierarchy where people still don't understand that. Um and our CEO is doing a great job at bridging that gap. Um now with that being said, working at other companies has always led me to just now be very loud and very vocal about what I see. Having artists that are signed in different places. Um, I'm always very vocal where I'm like, hold on, excuse me, sir, but how are you gonna tell me about the culture? Y- you get tired of certain people telling you about the culture that you were raised in. You cannot tell me how I'm going to break this artist. Essentially, you can tell me about stats. Essentially, you can tell me about analytics and what you see. But you cannot speak on how I'm going to break something in a culture that I I live in, I breathe in. Um, so I think it's hard, you know, seeing like, wow, it's so easy over here. And it's not easy over there. And here's why it's not easy over here. Because you have... That 61% of people who are saying they can't get a $10,000 budget. You know why? Because I don't see the importance of us promoting XYZ, a brand for this artist. And that brand represents black people directly, brown people directly. So I think that's. That's my perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, it's amazing at Def Jam. It's great. The culture is amazing. <laughs> She'd
2: be the first person in a Zoom call to be like, wait, hold on, and stop the whole thing. I promise you. Just like she said, it <laughs> times 10. So she's not
3: lying about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, um, it's also, like, speaking up. Like, we have a diversity and inclusion department that represents. And I've never worked anywhere with HR. Always been with small companies. Like I said, consulting, where there's nobody I can look to or turn to. Um, But we have these these departments that are set up to say we're here, we're available, and it's being vocal to those departments. This is what's going on, and this is what I'm not okay with. And although our artists speak directly to the culture, we behind the blinds have to speak to the culture too. And I think a lot of people in their positions fear losing them or fear not growing in them so they don't speak up.
0: Yeah, that kind of leads to my next question. Um, Do you feel the responsibility is more on the labels of the subject matter that artists release, um, or does it fall more on the artists? Um,
3: Yeah, I think it's both, because a lot of people have to understand there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to one artist, Um, and it's everybody's job. You know, if you have one artist who is rolling, who's billboard charted and they have a voice, they're pushing a quote unquote narrative. It's press's job. It's the manager's job. It's the agent's job. It's the label's job. It's everybody's job to figure out, all right, this is what they represent and this is how we're going to turn it into something positive. Um, So I, I think it's everybody has a responsibility to the artists and what they push.
0: Um, and, Said, I want to ask you specifically, like you mentioned, you'll be in a room and 99% of the people would be black and most of the time actually from the country that you're representing, the artists that are from. Um, with your company, immensum Music, you push a lot of specifically West African artists. Uh, I hope there's, you know, lots of like positives and kind of that. But are, what are also kind of like the challenges in pushing artists in the U.S. Um, and kind of bridging like that gap?
2: Uh. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, thankfully, there are companies that are kind of starting to get it by force. And when I say companies, I'm talking about DSPs. Um, before Spotify reached Nigeria, which was, I believe, last or two Februarys ago, um, Spotify was only in two countries in the entire continent of Africa. And the reason why I mention this is because the value of the artists that we were, you know, marketing across the globe, people who were already touring across the world, was being measured by American statistics. And you would have a cat like Burna Boy two years ago with seven million monthly listeners, being measured next to somebody who can't even tour six cities in America with the same seven million monthly listeners, and it was very difficult to preach that scale difference to the executives in this country. So we were going after distribution deals a few years ago and, and label deals that were substantially lower financially than they needed to be because nobody saw the value past the stats. And I think um that also caused trouble for us as a company because, you know, we were doing things that, you know, that were really helping an entire like I think a lot of people don't understand how big Africa is. Like, Africa's over 100 countries. It's, it's just it's, it's a massive space. You know what I mean? So, when you have an artist that can touch the entire continent, you're touching almost half the world. You know what I mean? And we were sitting in a room and we were being belittled constantly because it was just like, you know, oh, yeah, but, you know, the stuff you guys are doing in Africa is really cool. Um, so, you know, we think maybe like a 100K would do it versus somebody's talking to, you know, an artist from here, like I said, or, or a record label owner from here that doesn't even have any credentials, that just has ideas and they'll cut a million dollar check because it's familiarity. You know what I mean? And I realize it's not even about um, anything other than familiarity. That's all it is. It wasn't until, you know, some film started to come out and. And then, like I said, Spotify getting to Nigeria, you saw the monthly listeners jump. That's when there was value, you know, because music was very difficult to value until streaming. Streaming is what allowed people to start acquiring catalog because you can now project how much something is going to make. And and so streaming, in general, is, is finances. So when you start to see the numbers go up, that's when the finances to invest go up. So it's, I really do think streaming because... There was no other way for anybody to see the valley, and the money had to come from here because the major companies are based here. And the budgets that they give Africa, like they might give, you know, Warner West Africa $500,000 for their entire, like, to fund every label and every artist for a year. I'm just giving a number. They'll give a label on this side $50 million, You know what I mean? And so, in order for like a lot of times, we'd have to do a deal in multiple territories. We would have to do like a Def Jam U.S. island here and then something else there, you know, just to make the money make sense. So, you know, to kind of go back, um, it's just been a thing. It's been very difficult, and and I'm not even going to lie, like, there's been countless emotional moments of just, like, you can't keep preaching the importance of something when you know it's important. You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, like, I didn't come from a background of selling drugs. I didn't come from a trust fund family. I didn't come from a place of being able to fund anything by myself. I came from a place where I, I seeked knowledge to be a replacement for finances because I felt like the knowledge can yield finances. You know what I mean? And to go through what we, what we went through over the past several years is, um, is honestly just God. But we're here in a place now where, thankfully, the statistics are now starting to show you know, people who we started working with 10 years ago in Burner Boy can now do a stadium tour. And because he's doing that, we can walk up to somebody and say, hey, we believe in X, Y, Z. This is the way to get it there. And they can see, oh, yeah, we heard he's doing la, 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 la. If you have somebody else that you think can be the next this, <clears throat> we can invest in that, you know. And that's where we are now, thankfully. But historically speaking, it has not been like that. And it's still, um, still an uphill battle, very much so an uphill battle.
3: I want to speak to his point, because maybe three years ago now, uh, Saheed and I were sitting on FaceTime, and the conversation with Shayna, once they let us in the building, it's over. All we need is the opportunity, um, because it's two things. Even when we're talking about diversity, it's two things. It's either a flame or it's knowledge. It's not a spark. It's not a I know this. It's a flame, like Afrobeats in general, It took years for labels to acknowledge the genre itself. Uh, But once there was a flame, then it's, oh, my God, we're all chasing Afrobeats. It doesn't matter if you drill it into somebody's head. They don't get it. You know, they don't get it. Or it's knowledge. You have people in the building who get it. So you hire those people in the building to get it. That's where you create the diversity. Or you have a flame. And it's, and it's crazy because it's sad that the industry kind of starts and ends there, but I truly believe that's what it is. If, if I didn't make myself knowledgeable in this industry, if I didn't make myself knowledgeable about what exists in this industry, there's no way I was getting in the building. And if I didn't create a flame, there's there's no way I would last in the building. Um, so I think that's important when, when speaking about diversity and speaking about why things don't catch or take so long to matter especially with artists and genres and indies everything once you see a flame then everybody's going to jump on it and you have people like saheed and myself who have been sitting here for years like we have been talking about this <laughs> like we have been literally sitting here trying to make this happen for years trying to get funding trying to get people to understand trying to get people to respect um some of the artists that we have worked with um and it uh, it's the flame or it's the knowledge.
1: Yeah, and to continue all of that, I feel like oftentimes diversity and and inclusion is transactional in the music industry. We're going talking back to the flame, right? Like it takes K-pop to be like as big as it can be ever for people to actually care. And I feel like even like in the very beginning, like no one kind of get it until they're like, oh, the numbers. Oh, like hey, if we like feature you, we can get like all this attention that we will make money off of, you know. And so I think it's like yes, yeah, like we do need the flame uh, to kind of like hey, you have to pay attention to us. You need to give us the opportunities, like you know. And even if you don't get it, like it's here, and like let us make you get it, you know, or like let us just run the game, and you can just give us the resources and the backing.
0: Um, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Julie, can you actually speak a bit more on like, well, Dak Bia has done incredible work in pushing specifically Asian American artists and just Asian artists in general. And I mean, that stat you sh- shared earlier is pretty crazy. So 2% of major label signed artists are Asian, but Asians are actually the biggest music spenders in the U S that is. So,
1: yeah, so <laughs> I came across this, this statistic that um, there's only two percent of Asian American artists signed to a major, and that there's actually more artists, uh, more Asian artists overseas signed to the major than Asian American. And as I was going back, like you know, with Asian artists overseas, like of course they're going to be a step ahead essentially than Asian American artists because they have a whole country that's like rooting, there's a whole like system of entertainment system that's already in place with a community that's supporting these artists. Whereas an Asian American like, I don't think it was even really feasible like to think that we can like be signed to a major or like that we can do this because there has been that lack of representation, like you don't see Asian American artists. And I'm so proud to represent Kashi because he's kind of like pioneering, but even then it's like, I have to explain again, like, hey, he is an artist from Houston. Yes, his parents are Vietnamese refugees, but at at the end of the day, like he is talented and he is American and you should support him based off of his talent. I think it's really important to have diversity, But I think sometimes, like, it shouldn't be, um, like, what's the word? It shouldn't be uh, just because he's Asian, right? Uh, It shouldn't be, like, a novelty. Um, Yeah, but I think, like, with K-pop being as big as it is, it really did give a chance for us to, like, Asians in general, like, to have a conversation. And, you know, like, going back to, like, the major they want the cut, like, they, they see the dollar signs, right, so, like, now, like, you have a lot of these major K-pop acts signed to the major for, you know, U.S. Um, representation, but, again, like, that's different, um, like, this is all, like, effective, and it's also meaningful, but it is different to, to see, oh, my gosh, there's, an like, a Vietnamese kid from Houston, uh, from Sugarland that, you know, is similar to me, and he's like, last night was, you know, on late night TV. And going back to the consumers um, aspect, like, Asian a- Americans, like, are, was like has been over and over, um, been the highest music spenders, um, especially with streaming subscriptions. And then earlier, uh, Shane, you and I were talking about how the power of streaming in Southeast Asia, which is often, like, very much neglected, um, the power of like indonesia the philippines um like they're so accounted for all these streaming but yet there's no marketing uh play there there's no like attention there's no like hey like maybe we should try to sign some of these artists even to the u.s like there is just lack of correlation there
0: uh yeah yeah i think it's that's why it's so important like the work all three of you do because you're really breaking down those walls, and I know it must be frustrating sometimes. I mean, Shannon, you mentioned your why do I have to explain the culture? But I think there has been a lot of f- positive changes in in the recent years, um, and I just kind of wanted to kind of leave it open. Like, what have you seen in the last few years that's been more on the positive side that kind of brings a little more equality to, within the music industry?
2: I think, um you know, you mentioned K-pop, and um- there's actually something really, really interesting going on in Philadelphia where is from. Um, please look after this look into it. And also when it comes to like Africa and Afrobeat, I think the most exciting thing and the biggest difference now is that you have three entrepreneurs sitting here representing their people in a time where all of their cultures are having highlighted moments, flames, if you you know, as Shana called it. And that's something that, that wasn't around in the past. I remember Caribbean music, you know. Time where Rihanna first came out, and you had like Beanie Man, and there wasn't much representation on the executive level as entrepreneurs. So you were just leaving it to heads of labels that know nothing about it to carry that. And where do they carry it to? Absolutely nowhere. And now, you know, you have all of these, you know, the barrier's been broken down as far as like you're not really marketing your music to America anymore. You're marketing music to the world, even if you're from you know, inner city, cut and shoot Texas. You know what I'm saying? Your, your, your market is the globe, the world. And because of that, um, and also because of all the entrepreneurs that we have now, it's, 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 it's giving us the opportunity to guide after something picks up, rather than it being you know taken and mistreated, mishandled, and exploited. You know, um, for example, with Afrobeat music, you know, had this been 15, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have any hope because this actually was 15, 20 years ago, we had artists called The You know, we had artists called Idris Abdul Karim. We had, you know, we had so many acts coming out of the continent, uh, Two-Face with African Queen, songs that we still hear to this day. These artists, I would say, were crawling so we can run. Um, but the minute they hit a certain point, it was out of our jurisdiction as a culture to take care of it from that point. And I think now um, we are putting ourselves in positions uh, as well as our counterparts and other people that we don't know to where when things and as things are getting to a certain point, we are the ones to help handle it and control it to make sure it continues to grow and to make sure they, A, don't fuck it up, and then B, they don't put somebody that looks like them to represent that, you know what I mean, as they've done in the past many, 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 many times.
3: I think um, people need to understand point of entry um, and you also need to understand what is being underrepresented Um, by point of entry. I mean, like for me, when this was, I could say seven years ago, six years ago um, I started managing acts and I personally was looking for acts that were underrepresented, right? If I know there's a million black rappers That's not my way in the building right now. As much as I love it, it didn't make sense. So my point of entry was working with people that were completely underrepresented. One of my first artists was Dunia. She was a Moroccan artist uh, from New York. Um, She literally started off in the modeling world, but the Moroccan community completely underrepresented. She rapped. She had very serene vocals, so that was my point of entry. When I bought her in the building to somebody that I knew, they talked about her to 10 people that they knew before I knew what I had seven offers on the table. This was within three months of me working with her. The next artist after that was Ravina. The only other Indian artist out there was MIA. So my point of entry was very important, but it was a point of entry where I was representing something that was familiar to myself. I work very well with women. I work very well with brown people. I work very well with black people. So let me do something that that means something to me, so that I can still represent diversity. Um, so that was my entry into the industry, um, and then beyond that, it's just now continue the conversation, continuing the conversation of what is underrepresented. Um, so. Saheed might work at a different country uh, country company than me. Um, But I think the conversation is constantly, what can you do over there for video for artists that I don't have signed that I know is developing right now that needs help that can't get help in this building. Um, And it's like he said, utilizing one another to push the narrative of diversity and push the narrative for our artists and just make things work while we're still trying to fix what's going on.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I want to, I want to just switch gears a bit and just kind of, if you could each kind of shed a little bit of light on, like, how you got started in the music industry, like, how you got that first job or, like, where you heard about it. Um, yeah.
3: <laughs> okay. So I literally uh, started in 2014. I did an internship in London called Serious Music where I was working in jazz and contemporary music. And then from there, I moved to the States. And I went to a Maxwell concert, and he was looking for an assistant. And his manager was looking for an assistant. And I said, I need a job. And they said, well, if they like you, then you got the job. So I got the job. So my first job was working as a day-to-day assistant with Maxwell and a bunch of R&B neo-soul artists. And that was how I got into it, and I started managing my own acts.
0: How did you hear about the serious job?
3: Um. So I have a aunt in London who literally was friends with the woman. So that was just by way of who you know. <laughs> and I, and it, it was weird for me. Jazz music is not my thing.
2: <laughs> uh, I started when I was nine years old. Um, I started making beats. And my cousin came from Nigeria. He had like Fruity Loops 5. And that was the first time that I knew music can be made outside of like instrumentation. I, I just, I heard it as a final product. It's like watching Family Feud. You just watch it and you see, it. you don't know there's a bunch of cameras and stuff. So I was making beats from when I was like nine all the way till maybe like 18. And then when I got to college, I um, I started DJing because that was just the closest thing I can get to being on stage and, and making mu and being with music. But you know, writing, producing, you know, I ran into an influencer at the time that was on Vine and we made some songs together and they did really well. So then, you know, I was running track in college. I quit and started taking it more serious and I actually started managing him. That's how I got into the business. Um, a little selfishly, I felt like if, you know, if people were going to hear me through him, then he needs to do well, <laughs> you know. So, um, so, started managing him. And then I actually, funny enough, I pretty much done almost every aspect of the industry I was managing. Um, I went from that to doing a lot of marketing, because through managing him, I, I learned a lot of "quote unquote" black market marketing in the industry, like stuff with early social media days, early SoundCloud days. So I started doing a lot of campaigns as an independent with Warner, with every you know a lot of different major labels, and then I went from that to like getting into PR really heavily for like a year. I was a publicist for one year, like um, at a very like interesting level. I was representing a lot of people, and for me, it was just learning, you know, learning a lot. And then from there, I got into um, publishing and, and a lot of other different things. And I realized everything I've done has kind of equated to every confine of the industry. And that, that's what led me partnering with my current partner and working with Viddy and doing other things. But yeah, the, for me, the entrance was just as a musician, in, in, as a musician first. And a lot of my motivation for the business side comes from knowing that there's a lot of people out there who are making music who don't know shit about the business. And if everybody knew, then maybe it would be a thing of may the best song win rather than may who knows who wins. You know, so um, that's how I got into it.
1: So I actually got into the music business because of South By. I went to UT Austin very long ago, Hook'em. But uh, yeah, so I work at a... I work at the Daily Texan, the college newspaper, like all four years. Uh, I was a journalism major. And at the time that I was there, um, South By was just peaking like it had been around. But it was about 10 years ago, a little bit more. We're starting to get a lot of uh, momentum. Like that was the year like Kanye came. Out of nowhere, uh, surprise everyone. But yeah, and so I was also like really obsessed with Tiny Dust. So I was like, hey, why don't we create a college, uh, like university version? And so, you know, there's so many artists that always come through Austin and locally, there's so many incredible indie artists. And so, yeah, I was just like booking artists to come to our basement to perform and then just leveraging, you know, the press badge and going to ACL. Uh, Fun, fun, fest, like back in the day, and just really getting to meet artists. And and then I was like, wait, um, I don't want to do the journalism side. I want to do the other side of like PR because I felt like I had really, you know, great ideas in terms of strategy. And you know, you can write, but I don't know if I picked the better of the two. But um, it worked out for me. And then eventually, um, I moved to New York, intern at a bunch of intern and work at a PR company. But I was like, at that time, indie rock was really, was the main kind of genre that was really taking off. And I was like, I really want to work in hip-hop and I really want to work with Asian artists. And again, having to convince, you know, a larger company for you to do something. But then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go and create my own company and work with artists that I want to champion.
0: So that kind of leads to my next question. Um, Like, your stories have a little bit of similarities. I mean, Julie, you specifically had to start your own company to do what you actually wanted to do in the industry. Um, how can we make it easier for minorities entering the music industry now or make it easier for them to, to know about the music industry and all the opportunities?
1: So you're I just feel like in the music industry, there's so many incredible, like, imprints and, like, you know, like us, just in our own in our own pockets, doing incredible things. But I wish that the music industry would actually give us the opportunity to do it on a bigger level and more intricate, integrated. And at least, like for me, you know, like five years ago, there was like 88 Rising, which our company helped launch. Um, and work all of those music campaigns, and it's been really incredible to see what 88 Rising is doing for Asian representation. But at the end of the day, I just wish that there's opportunities for to have more 88 Rising companies and have more funding from the majors for you know for us to continue to share our narrative. I would love to see um, investments into Southeast Asian artists because there's still a lot of. Uh, you know, setbacks there, setbacks there, um, a lot of missed opportunities that can be helped, and so yeah, I think it's just having the majors really not only coming to us when they need us, but just coming to us because we can actually make a difference.
0: You want to add her? Good. I think she did a great job. Okay. Huh?
1: <laughs>
3: but I mean, you might want to create some value, garner your relationships, and use your resources because. As standard as that might sound, it's necessary for you to do in this industry, especially starting off. Um, And then once you start off and take that route, you won't take any shit Uh, because I can guarantee, like, see, it's it's my right hand next to me, y'all. But even with us just like starting from a consultant route, it's like, you know what? you know your value and you know the value that you created, so you know why they need you inside of the building. So create that before you get inside the building and settle for less.
2: Yeah, I think uh, just to add on to what they both said, um, but I think even on the other end of it, like this whole side of the industry is non-existent to most people, at least for me growing up, it was completely non-existent. And um, I feel like if something, if you don't have access to something, it can't be a part of your reality. And I think just the just at a very, very basic level of exposure. I think at an early age for a lot of people will, will change a lot of things for us. You know, um, if you can go to most high schools in the entire state of Texas and ask how many people what an A&R is and how many people is gonna raise their hand. But I used to talk to a lot of kids in California and in Los Angeles, and most of them knew what A&Rs were. And I think just virtually by that, I mean, if I ask how many students wanna be rappers or singers, and you're gonna see a lot of hands raised. Just like that, you have underrepresentation. Just like that, you know, um, you have just a huge bubble in between. And I and I just believe by us not only empowering each other, just sharing that knowledge to the next generation at an earlier age, letting them know that there is another side. You don't have to sit behind a microphone in order to be in this industry. Um, and, and and educating them early about these things will really help this entire process of what we're doing, you know, take to the next level.
3: I think you should also understand what avenues you can create for yourself. Um, like, so he just said, you don't know, you know, what an A&R is. You don't know that people get paid to make playlists. Like, you can literally simply sit in your house and make a playlist, grow your playlist to 50,000 listeners, and then boom, you got a job at Spotify. Or boom, now you're literally consulting for 99 artists just to get on your playlist because they know that they have the potential to get 50,000 streams just off of one playlist. So you have to realize the different avenues that exist in the music industry and then stop using diversity as an excuse. Like, oh, I didn't get this job because I'm black and they don't hire black people. Let me create something on my own so that they realize why they need to hire this black girl.
0: And also the companies. Taking that extra step, I think, uh, in the music industry, it's it's quite small, right? And we h- hire a lot of people who you just know, um, and it kind of creates a lot of like nepotism. So, th- taking that extra step to do more outreach, make kids in different communities aware of all the different jobs, like you say, you can be an AR, make a playlist, just like know about that is like as we were growing up, it was mainly just you make the music and that's all we really knew about. We didn't know about the whole industry side. We kind of had to find out about that on our own, right? Um, so I think like education is, is very key. Um, yeah, just just winding down your probably last question. Um, I guess like in five, 10 or however many years, what is like one change you would love to see in the music industry?
1: Well, right now, we earlier we were talking about the percentage of the top C suite being like, what'd she say it was? She?
0: Uh, it was eight about 8% are black, which is five out of 61. And then there was about three that were yeah, non white. I, mean,
1: I would just like to see like 50 50% of, you know, like at least, if, you know, not more. But I think it's just that change on the top leadership um, level for sure. It would just, I feel like it would make things a lot easier for all of us.
2: Uh, I personally would like to see more creatives closer to the business, um, and I, most of the reason for that is because I've seen how much of a difference that has made. For example, um, at Video, we distribute French Montana, and he's still at his label, but we, um, we're we putting our albums with his brand, Coke Boys, but it's, it's his albums, mixtapes. Um, but I say that to say his first project that came through us, um, it didn't do that great, because he was coming from a major system and he didn't really understand how the differences between independent and being under um, a well-oiled machine, well, not well, a oiled machine, um, and uh, so next album, I remember you know sitting down with them and just you know letting them understand like yo, like you have different aspects. You have like the marketing department for a reason. You have the advertising department for a reason. The promotion department for a reason. You have to figure out a way to. In somehow, some sense, duplicate that structure within your own business. You know what I mean? Which is, like I said, something we do at Vidya. Like we like tell artists and business how to run their business. And I can just tell you right now, I've seen so many people's careers, including his. He went from that album to having the number one Billboard 200 rap album on his next album just by structuring a team around him that was conducive for his releases. And you know, he's a bigger artist. I mean, but on the lower level, we've seen it as well. Just educating. It's not even about, you know, a lot of people think they want a playlist, but really they just need education to understand that you're reaching directly to the consumers. How you get to the consumers is up to you. Playlists can help you get to consumers, but they're not gonna help consumers need to get to you. That's what you want. You want the people to find you to like you. You don't want you don't really want any other way. And and if even if you want another way, you can't control that way, but you can control you know, what's around you as far as the business that surrounds your creative, you know what I'm saying? So I just want to see more people in creative positions, whether producers, songwriters, artists, um, et cetera, et cetera, people who do it all to just be much, much closer to the business. Um, and then they'll, they'll start to see their careers, you know, happen like Russ's career happens, you know what I mean? Like a uh, funny story real quick. Um, we was on a call with AudioMac, the head of AudioMac, and and we were trying to do a partnership with Russ, and he was just like, yeah, I remember Russ hit me up, you know, years ago when we were just, you know, got off the ground a little bit. And he was just like, hey, I noticed that this stat changed when you release a song on a, this day of the week, so I'm going to send you this song early. And he's like emailing the head of Audio and And obviously, you know, Russ has an extremely successful career I mean, I don't know how many fans of Russ there are in this room, but one interesting thing about Russ is that he's going to sell out the Hollywood Bowl and none of us is going to know more than five songs. You know what I mean? Because he has reached directly to his consumer by understanding the business around music and the business around his operation. You know, he's not reaching for the world. He's reaching for people who will like him. And I feel like everybody has a million people out there who will like them if they get the business right and they can reach those people directly. So, um... I would just love to see the creatives closer to the business. Um, If not, you know, close just with the business, either they want to run it themselves or they're going to understand who and what they need around them in order for that business to run.
3: Well, of course I would like to see change at the top. Um, But I think uh, the change that I would really like is like in creating awareness, Um, I'm not sure what programs everybody had in their high school, maybe even as young as middle school, but creating programs where people are learning engineering, production, where people are learning uh, different careers and avenues in the entertainment industry in general. Um, If I had a class where, you know, you gave VoTech as an option and doing hair as an option, you guys gave a lot of different options in high school and music was not one of them unless we were in choir. Um, so I think if, if we could create awareness within high schools, middle schools, I know some colleges have programs now for music unless you go to a performing arts or a school for music specifically. But just making that open to everyone so that even this is a career that does not require you to go to college. I went to college you know to each his own but considering some people straight out of high school can jump into the music industry and do god knows what because there's so many different career paths that you can take in this industry i think that should be open to everyone and i would love to take a hand and trying to figure out a way to build that within our school systems
0: that'd be great just get you guys to talk at the schools that's that's what they should do (laughs) Um, let's open up to Q&A there's a mic in the middle if anyone has any questions feel free
3: Hi, my name is Courtney Roberts, and I'm a student at Texas Southern University in Houston. Um, I have a question for Shana, specifically. I have a little bit of experience in, like, independent A&R and management work with a neo-soul artist out of Miami, Florida. Her name is Ginger Soul. And I'm kind of in the process of trying to learn about various avenues and not spreading myself too thin, like, hyper-fixating on one thing, basically learning as much as I can because everything intertwines at the end of the day. And I wanted to ask you, like, as a black woman navigating this industry, like, what is something that you would tell your younger self or a word of advice or or guidance when it comes to navigating the industry? I think telling my younger self something is um, building relationships earlier. So I'm always fast now or quick to reach out to someone or quick to DM or email somebody that I don't know, whereas Shana five ten years ago would have never done that because I'm just like I'm going to figure this out um, but introducing yourself to as many people as possible making sure you're in the know and you're in the conversation so that you can get in the rooms you need to be in for your artist. Um, if you're developing her then something you should focus on is just like Saheed said direct to consumer so how do I get my artist in the know is she down here at South by Southwest how do I get her in the rooms that she needs to be in she could be in this room she could be at a concert later tonight but just just making sure everywhere you go you're seeding relationships and you're actually building and leveraging those relationships so that your artists can develop in the way you want her to thank you so much
4: hi hello can you hear me okay Uh, my name is Dylan Gutierrez. I am a design student at the Savannah College of Art and Design and the general manager for our university radio. Um, for context, I'm, I'm a Mexican-American, and I, I like how you guys touched on the topic of like you don't have to get necessarily our culture, but to still be represented and be put thought first. Um, as a Mexican-American, I feel like we're in this side of music industry where people are trying to be more collaborative in the Latino community, um, but only to just be hand-fed phonetically the lyrics and not really understanding like behind, even just the beats as well. And I've had to do a lot of efforts as a non-black person to really get into the Afrobeats dance hall, like artists and culture. What advice would you give for people to to better integrate, I guess, those sort of relationships where it's like we can ha- be collaborative, we can be multicultural but you don't, you know how do you not be afraid to completely go into a different genre um, and being afraid of not knowing enough about a culture for it
3: I think you have to find people who are willing to understand like somebody like me when I walked into Def Jam I was like I'm going to sign somebody in every genre so therefore when I have artists and I and I kind of Tell them, hey, let's collaborate with different people. Let's do different things. I think this might spark in three or four years. Might not be relevant now, but just try it. I think you have to find people who are really willing because you have artists who are used to a sound, and it's not even that they don't want to understand Mexican music, Latino culture. It's the sheer fact they just never did it, and they're not willing find people who are willing.
2: Yeah, I would say um, that's a great answer, Shaina, for real, and I think um, that stretches even further when understanding... Becomes a physical experience, I think um, one of the biggest reasons why afrobeat music right now is so big in America is because there's a lot of african centered events in Los Angeles that are meant for the music industry parties like donovan's yard who if you don 't know about Donovan's yard, look it up that all they play is African music, Caribbean music, and all you see in there is you'll see Justin Bieber demi Lovato usher uh. Uh, Skrillex will come in there and start DJing. The entire music industry's in there, but the reason why I say this, this is the first time ever that the music industry, the people in the back, can experience this music in the place that it was created for. If you're just in your bed putting headphones on, you might not understand what a Kid song, but when you play it loud in that environment, you're like, oh shit, I get it. You know. So that exposure um, in, in the space that it's meant for, maybe creating those types of physical experiences so people can actually experience what this is like, or like, you know, Taking it a step further, we take a lot of people to Nigeria for our festivals so they can actually see and feel and they can show on their two, three, four, five million platform to the rest of the world what it's actually like out here. And then now the other artists from other other continents, other countries can see it, executives, people can see that. And you might not understand something, but when you see other humans understand it, you're like, well, shit, maybe I just don't get it. But I get why I should mess with it. You know what I mean? Because people rock with it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's what I say.
4: Um, and then, as a separate question, um, you talk about trying to um, put representation on the marketing and statistic ends. I want to know a little bit more about, from your experiences about making sure that these underrepresented um, individuals, and I think now we're putting more focus onto mental health, but physical resources. As someone who cares a lot about accessibility, and you know, having to rely on wheelchairs and walking canes. So what does that look like right now for you guys in terms of having that be uh, representative as well in terms of accessibility? Oh, that's a
3: hard question.
2: Um, Sorry, I,
4: ha- I ask hard questions. It's okay. <laughs> I
2: guess, um, I guess the foundation of that is just is education and perspective and. Um, I'm not necessarily... I I don't think I can answer right now how that can change specifically, but I could just give you an example of a time that um, I could say that myself and my business partners, we slapped each other in the faces because we completely missed that part of representation. We did our first festival, and it wasn't until the, day, the next day we realized, oh, shit, we didn't really make this place, even though it was in another country, we didn't make it accessible for wheelchairs. We didn't make it accessible for... um for, for people who you know who are hard of hearing you know we didn't we didn't open those doors and I think um, it's just the best way to do things are to do it by example you know you can't really force others to think a certain way you can't force people to include so it's just more so about if you're going to be a part of something to make sure that you are representing the change and that you want to see and if you want that type of inclusion, then you have to preach that type of inclusion directly by having a seat or or some type of access or some type of um, input into some of these places that you see the lack of. All right, thank you. Hi everybody, my name is Andy Tran. I'm an artist
5: manager and music journalist based out of. You might San want to raise area. the mic. All right, all right, all right. A little, a little low. Always like talking like this. Hi, everybody. My name is Andy Tran. I'm an artist manager and music journalist based out in San Diego. Thank you all for the very insightful panel. It was really helpful to kind of see everyone's perspective. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on a point that was brought up a little bit earlier in the conversation. I I think Julie talked about, you know, when creating like brand partnerships or artist partnerships, um, you know, sometimes they come off as a bit service level. You know, like how, how do we go about creating partnerships that are more meaningful between the artist and the brand and, you know, making it more successful in that way. So it's not just like, you know, the bubble partnership with the Asian American artists, which I feel like are very, you know, surface level and they're great. they're, They're cool. But I think, yeah, we can challenge ourselves to do more than that and make it more meaningful on all ends.
1: Yeah, I think in terms of anything that we do, right, we would just always want to hope that it comes from a very, authentic place and that there's actual research um, that's that's being done or that there's room for people the people with the knowledge to um, talk and for others to to listen and understand so I think you know especially with artists that you know are underrepresented there is a lot of nuances in terms of like their narrative like um, the culture you know all of it and so I think In order to not make it surface level, it's just really kind of dig deep and like think about the having like empathy, right? And like bringing out those emotions um, in the activations or whatever that you're doing, Um, because at the end of the day, the people that are going to see it are from those communities, and so you just gotta hit back on that. And I think also just like differentiating the differentiating the ideas um, and what's being conveyed, because I think at least for um, Asian Americans I think sometimes like we end up being uh, portrayed in very stereotypical um, you know uh, aspects you know I think it's like oh we're like uh, the smart kids or the minor minority and all of that and a lot of that is still even being s- sold you know um, and I think that there is so much more of that I think with Asian Americans like we our community, like, we do deal with a lot of mental health and PTSD, you know, uh, being immigrants and stuff like that, and I think it's just, like, ways to tap into those stories that hasn't really been told through these uh, brand partnerships or, you know, whatever content that we're doing. Um, I think that's the best way to really diversify uh, even further.
3: I think it's, like you just said, being... um, uh, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah.
3: um That's uh. cool. I think it's like being more niche in in branding, um and not over pimping your artists as an artist manager. I found myself in the beginning just going after whatever opportunity I thought would work for my artist. and then it's like, this is surface this is surface level. I'm reaching out, I'm sending an email. I'm saying, yo, I think that this would fit this would work for Montclair in K. You know what I'm saying, but instead, let me, there's startups, there's brands that are out of Philadelphia that are doing really well for themselves. So let me start there and garnish this relationship and build it to something. So that way, when I go to Montclair, maybe in two, three years, it makes sense for me to do. And now our relationship is more solidified because it made more sense at that time. Instead of us just thinking, oh, our artist is here. They fit for this brand. So it's just going to work. That's why it doesn't work. Because <laughs> you think, and everybody thinks that their artist is supposed to represent XYZ a brand. narrow it down to whatever's in San Diego if your artist is there start there and then branch out you know unless your artist hit the ground running and they have the stats to match with whatever brand you're going after you have to make those relationships make sense make it make sense is like the motto (laughs) make it make sense
2: and I would say don't let money drive your partnerships because you're gonna find yourself doing shit with people who just don't let that drive you know like even if you have to, I don't know how big or small or what level your artist is on, but um, even always try to leverage something that you guys have with the brand so that you can have a little bit more autonomy behind the deliverables, have a little bit more autonomy behind like the, the direction, the route of exactly what you're doing. Um, and if that's even leveraging the, the fan base that he has or the access you have to a specific community, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be a monetary partnership. It has to be, like, like they say, a meaningful one that goes deeper. You know what I mean? But do not let finances drive that because it's going to skew your, your judgment for who you're working with. And as your artist grows, the no's grow too. Like, you're going to have to say no a lot. You know, some things just might not make sense. They might make a whole lot of sense for the house you want. It might make a whole lot of sense, you know, for a lot of things. And your artist might even say, no, it's cool, it's cool. Like, I'll do it, it's fine but you have to really take that stance because you can't really go backwards once you start doing those types of things, you know, and you also don't want to be paying your bills chasing checks for from those types of things. Partnerships with other brands are meant to be something that goes further, you know what I mean, than, than, than a monetary standpoint. So. Great. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you all. Please give it up for Saeed, Shaina, and Julie.